0: I'm Audrey Bellis. And I'm Yvette Montoya. And you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon & Espanol.
1: We tell stories about femme leaders and activists of color making our world a better place. Let's get started.
0: We're here today with Jocelyn Ramirez. Jocelyn founded Todo Verde in 2015 with a mission to create delicious and healthy plant-based food options inspired by familiar flavors using Mexican and South American ingredients. Todo Verde's menu includes local, fresh, and organically grown ingredients from local small businesses, Farmers and a mission-based food purchasing cooperative. Jocelyn, it's a pleasure to have you here.
2: Welcome. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you too. I feel like I should be interviewing you too.
1: Oh, stop. <laughs> stop it. We're a lot of fun. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I'm happy to be here. We
1: hate you. to toot our horns, but like too.
0: <laughs> I wish you guys could have seen Yvette's face just now. It was comedy. <laughs> Check our outtakes. Actually if you're checking our out it's too late because this will be gone on Snap by the time that you hear this. Yeah. Mm. If
1: you if you're hearing this right now, it's already too late. Thanks, um, Drizzy
0: Hand. Yeah. <laughs> but keep listening. It's not But that keep late. listening. Yeah. yeah. Jocelyn, I love that you are so immersed in food. Um And particularly that you're so passionate about bringing affordable, healthy food options to Latinos, to communities. You know, recently, I grew up in North Long Beach, Mm -hmm. and North Long Beach just got their first grocery store. Wow. So here's an interesting part of Long Beach, right? So Long Beach is broken up into a bunch of different districts. And North Long Beach, where I grew up, where my parents still live, did not have a grocery store or a bank, but it has more liquor licenses per capita than any other district in Long Beach. That's really sad. It's insane. And it's, yeah. It is. And it's North Long Beach. So it bumps up on the border of Compton, Mm -hmm. Paramount, Bellflower, and Lakewood to the north. And so when we learned that, when we got the first grocery store in, it was super exciting. But you know what kind of grocery store we got? We got a big saver. Oh wow! It was a Latino-based Boo. market. Well, you know, Big Saver's delicious. Don't get me wrong; they do a decent carnitas. <laughs> they do chicharrones. It's very, very healthy. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's better it's than so nothing. But it's better than nothing. But yeah. you're right. Not it is the best option. It is not lending to some of the best options. And we finally got a farmers market. Oh, that's so great. But not that yeah. many people go to the farmers market, so there's not that many vendors. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that we hear about. You know, my mom's Mexican. She talks a lot about the diabetes body, which is the heavy Mexican. We call it the stereotypical Mexican look, which is like heavy panza, skinny legs. Oh, that's, yeah. Right? Apple the little shaped. Little yes. Yeah. But skinny, skinny legs yeah. and dinosaur arms that kind of swing. Sapple mm-hmm. status. Mm-hmm. So I love that you're on a mission to break down these barriers because so oftentimes we hear things like healthy food and there's like, I can't afford that right? That's Mm -hmm. not an option for me. Mm -hmm. It's going to go bad. So I need to buy and this scarcity mentality around money and accessibility to things where it's like, I need to buy it packaged. I need to buy it frozen. I got to buy it in bulk. Something that
2: lasts months and
0: months, right?
2: Absolutely. So Mm -hmm. tell
0: us how you're actually doing this for communities. As you mentioned, I started
2: at farmer's markets because I saw that that real necessity to connect back to the natural fruits and vegetables that we see and that we don't often care to work with. And so trying to take a step back from the processed foods that we've typically seen, like I grew up eating tons of cereal, Lucky Charms, Frosted Flakes, right? those were my faves. And so being able to take a step back from that and look more at at it as an, a, a systematical issue where the industrial food system is sort of set up in a way that targets low income communities, specifically low incomes of uh, communities of color, to eat in a particular way. Where it, in the forefront of it, you're seeing folks spend less dollars on the food that they consume, but on the long term end, you're seeing all the preventable diseases that will cost them money in the long run, and so people don't really think about the way that they're eating until until you get to that point of, of disease and illness that could have been prevented. So that for me was a huge shocker to be able to look at not just the way the whole community eats, but just starting with myself. How and, do I do that, right? Yeah.
1: And then also it comes when you know the doctor tells you, okay, you need to be medicated in order to deal mm-hmm. with all these diseases now, instead of actually telling you to change your diet or how to heal yourself through food. And that was something that you did for your dad. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little more about that?
2: Yeah. So it's it's a two part thing for my dad and for myself. Right. Um, for my dad, it was a huge thing because he had throat cancer twice now. And wow. so we weren't sure if it was whether he, you know, he had a history of smoking and And um, also working with textiles and inhaling synthetic fibers and things like that. But a big other issue that he can control is the way that he eats. And so when he was leading up to his surgery, we had about a month to get ready for it. And he's a little bit older, so I I was a little bit worried about his healing process through it all. So I said, all right, dad, this is it. No more café con pan, no more carnitas, no more this, that. Let's take a step back and really analyze the food that you have in your kitchen, what we're preparing every day, and let's in- start to incorporate superfoods and other things that we can bring in, healthy fruits, vegetables. Let's take a couple strolls through Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, Farmer's Markets. And they really started to shift the way that they prepared food. And so I started making him all different types of food, so much so that he was able to get off of his insulin. He's a diabetic. Wow. And he went about two, three weeks without having to go through his typical routine of of taking insulin. And so that's one part of it. The other part of it is I also personally, I've I've just started sharing more publicly that I've had an issue with my thyroid gland um, Mm -hmm. for many years. And that was also part of the reason that I started to, to look into being vegetarian vegan to see if I can reverse some of the damage that had been done where many doctors were saying, you have to take it out. You have to have surgery. Take it out. There's this magic
0: hormone pill that you can take for the rest of your life. Oh, let me tell you, I've been on those hormone pills. I have one ovary. Um, Mm. I lost an ovary due to a ruptured cyst. And ever since I went on the hormones, it took me years to get my body back to a place where I'm no longer on hormones or on medication for it. And it's something... I saw a naturopath. Mm -hmm. And actually... Mm -hmm. When I saw the naturopath, it wasn't just a combination of that. It was that. It was moon journaling. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of different factors that helped me kind of regulate, self-regulate my body because the hormones that they were giving me caused other problems. I then started mm-hmm. getting breast lumps. And then I got uterine fibroids. Wow. And it was one thing after another. And I was, at the time, like 26 going through early menopause.
2: Wow. It was,
0: it was terrifying. That's... And I got to a point, I'm sure similar to like yourself, where you go – I don't want to be medicated. I don't want to feel like the pharmacy calling me every day for a new prescription refill. I don't want to feel like I'm taking anything other than my probiotic. Exactly. And and
2: not being able to depend on something at, su- at such a young age right. where w- as, as every doctor that I met with, I met with about three doctors and they were all like, surgery, surgery. And I was like, goodbye. I'm yeah. going to figure this out. I Though I don't recommend that to everyone, I was... Just checking in with biopsies, making sure that there's no cancer cells there, but I was like, I'm going to keep moving forward and I'm going to see what I can do personally with diet for the next few years before I move forward. I went to the doctor a few weeks ago. I'm like all excited to share this. Um, and they're finally, the the um, nodules that I have within my thyroid gland, two um, different doctor's appointments now are showing that they're shrinking. That's amazing. That's awesome. So they went from growing every time to stop growing to now shrinking. And so I'm seeing the progress, but it's something that, uh, it's hard. It takes a lot of time and you really have to trust the struggle, right? Of right. like, you see your family eating carnitas and you're just like...
1: Oh looking God. away
2: like i don't see it and i cannot I resist wanna. a
1: chicharron in my life <laughs> my family my parents were vegetarian mm-hmm. i grew up vegetarian the first wow. time i had a hamburger i was that's 12 a- like that's a shocker yeah so we <laughs> live we were in hollywood and there was health food stores before they were health food stores before mm-hmm. it was cool there mm-hmm. was a lot of things in hollywood so like that's how we got by mm-hmm. and so i always had access to that i would have died to eat Lucky Charms. (laughs) My mother would never let me have any type of sugar cereal. So like I was like very, very healthy growing up and then I kind of got away from it. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until I was off birth control for a few years and I started, you know, I got a little bit older, around 25, I started noticing like my body was just, I was tired all the time. I had brain fog all the time and I didn't Mm -hmm. really know what it was until I started period coaching with Stasha and it was like hormones. Hormones is everything and it's because we're eating animals with hormones that we are getting the hormones mm -hmm. and it's messing up our hormones and that's insane. So for our listeners, Stasha
0: Washburn is one of our 100 women of worth and a past worthy women panelist and we'll include links to her bio so you can check her out. She's at the period coach on Instagram. Wow,
1: yeah, she was amazing. That <laughs> yeah, that would change that literally changed my life because she was like, you know, food is medicine and how do you use mm-hmm. food and like that's not something that we learn. So how is no. that something that you are imparting to the community?
2: I think that uh, through the last couple years of searching and kind of finding myself within food, I've always been passionate about food since I was a kid. From watching Food Network and PBS and all the cooking shows that I can take in, and and now that I've uh, chosen more of a path of vegan vegetarian lifestyle. I've been starting to explore like medicinal properties of different plants. As I went through my yoga practice, I also learned a little bit more about Ayurveda, which is an ancient Indian way of looking at food as medicine as well. Mm -hmm. So you start to learn a little bit more about individual bodies and doshas and how that uh, the same dish for three different vegetarian people can affect those three people in very different ways. So I I
1: learned a little bit about that, too, about mm -hmm. like what's right for my body. And it's totally true. Mm -hmm. Like when you think about it, the things that make you well and the things that make you unwell, it's not like across the board the same for everybody. It's like these vegetables might not be right for your body. Exactly.
2: And so in that process, I learned more. About my personal body, which is that I'm really dry, airy, my doshas are made of space and air. And so what that means is as I was looking at food, I was eating a lot of peanut butter, right? For the protein, oh, you know, peanut butter and banana, peanut butter and this and that. And then I look at the actual peanut itself and it's super dry and airy. so it's it's continuing to feed and imbalance that dosha that I already have predominantly in my body. So it's starting to look at things that are not as dry and airy, more moist and sweet that can help balance me out. And so that that is a whole other level of food that I didn't even know existed or that I didn't think I can work with. And so that's been a fun and interesting journey so far.
0: I want to expand on something you just said. You said finding yourself in food. And I think that's a very powerful statement. You know, I don't know if your experience was like this, but I... I'm a first-generation child. I have immigrant uh, family members and parents. And I was always told, there are starving children in Mexico. You're Mm going to clean your plate. Whether Mm -hmm. you're hungry or not, you will finish it. And then you go and you do family dinner. And like somebody, alguien te sirve, right? And they give you a piling plate (laughs) of bad stuff and then you don't eat it. And they're like, you don't like it. It's offensive. You You have to eat it. And if they give you seconds, you have to eat that. Everything we do is around food. And for me growing up, it was constantly, and my mom fed us very healthy. Like, I grew up, again, North Long Beach, Paramount, where a lot of my friends got to go to school with the maruchan and the... Um, oh, <laughs> I tons of maruchan. <laughs> what is... That's Cup of Noodles, if you don't know, oh, by the I way. Was like, I have no idea
1: what <laughs> that is. That's the brand, maruchan. <laughs> maruchan. Everyone calls it
0: maruchan <laughs> with the top of t-o. yeah. And the squeeze Do you remember that? Squeeze the oh, yeah. fun out of life. Oh, my gosh. This girl in my class... I remember this in the second grade. Her mom used to always send her with squeeze it. And I used to tell my mom, I want to squeeze it or the bullies, the, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. The do you know <laughs> bullies, sorry, Bet? They're like popsicle, like ice, ice oh, slushy yeah, yeah, stuff, yeah. and they, you can break them in half. Oh,
1: yeah, 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 Oh,
0: my gosh. Did I always want the bolis, and I always wanted the squeezes, my and we mom, weren't allowed to have any of that. I was not allowed to
1: have anything.
0: But we also—so there was some things of, like, wishing that we had, you know, being able to have access to what's now considered, like, the cheap stuff that we weren't allowed to have because our parents didn't buy that junk. But there was also this kind of psychological experience around food where it was— the more you ate, it was like, ah, you eat so much. Yeah. And at the same time, it was like, ah, you're not eating enough. Now you're so fat. Now you're so thin. And Uh, I look at the, the, yeah, yeah. and I look at the food issues that we have and it's even like described that way as like, la gordita, la flaca. Mm -hmm. Like, those are such shaming, deep-rooted practices and we joke in the office that I eat my feelings but it's true when i Yeah, you
1: really do do that. I really do. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a joke. (laughs) Under stress, it's like, where's that Twix bar? I know, and I'm like. Audrey you do not need that Twix bar Let's eat something healthy
0: And then I'm like share it with me then it's half the calories Oh She no. always like guilts you me into eating You split the ballies in half
1: Help me Yeah out. but Help it's the, the Twix bar And <laughs> then
0: I make fun of Yvette because she's always eating kale And I'm like you're so white
1: Yeah <laughs> and that's one of the stigmas with it too Because I feel like food It's not that I feel that way it's true Like food is so incredibly tied To not only culture But socioeconomic status. Exactly. In class.
2: Yeah. And it's all intersectional. I think that people tend to say, oh, it's a class thing. You, you can't afford this, so you can't get it. But uh, like we were saying as well, too, just in, in neighborhoods, what's available? And so usually folks who live in low income neighborhoods are usually uh, people of color. Yeah. And so that's where we're seeing the lack of access of, of food. But going back to your point about the way that I grew up around food, I'm also a child of two immigrants. My mother is from Mexico and my dad is from Ecuador. And so, you know, trying to merge the two and like the types of food that we ate was interesting. I remember looking at some Ecuadorian food and being like, oh, that looks gross or whatever. So I feel like I've always had a a lot more of a connection to my Mexican food side. And the type of food that my mom prepared is actually very similar to a, a sort of like decolonizing your diet style of food, like pipián, guisados, nopales, yeah. uh, you know, carne en su jugo, things like that. Oh, it's so, so good. I didn't grow up too much eating like the tacos and the, the food that we kind of associate with the right. Mexican food diet. Yeah. So that was really cool to grow up in that way and like learn a lot of things from my grandmother, from my mother's side as well too. The other thing was that we, my brother and I growing up, my brother just wanted all the processed food. He wanted all the cookies, all the cereal. And because I live there, it's like, oh, the cereal's there. Let me just eat it. And so there's this sense of like as a kid, like growing up, and you almost become addicted to it. Just because it's like the right balance of of sweetness and saltiness and all these things where these companies have really dominated our palates and taken us away from what we've known to be like true to our bodies and our palates and our spirit
1: essentially and
2: how we feel i did a sugar cleanse
1: Mm -hmm. when i first started doing um the period coaching with stasha it was like going through withdrawals like i have quit smoking a couple times (laughs) and it was like worse wow it was way way worse Mm -hmm. and i was like i just i just need a cookie just, just let me have a cookie. Just let me bite down on a cookie. Like, yeah. let me have a little bit of something. Like, and here's
0: me in the background, all devilish with my Twix bar. Yeah. Have a Twix <laughs> and you're just bar, breaking it in
1: half. Yeah, mm. no. And that was like all forms of sugar, like carbs, like everything. What about fruit? Like, Were you able to eat fruit? I had, I was able to eat carrots. Like, oh wow, <laughs> yeah, carrots and bananas. And yeah. believe me, like I was getting down on those carrots and bananas. I was just like, I need the sugar. Yeah so bad And your you, body you're, does you're ask for it
2: yeah your body does need that balance but it's coming back to that sort of natural way mm-hmm. of of eating that's so hard for us today in the society to go back all the way to that point especially because like we're sourcing ingredients that we don't grow anymore so we're depending on uh, an industrial system to give us those particular products and now you have this whole other thing with like organic and what's not organic and, and like
1: yeah. the sugar that we consume isn't actually sugar most of the time Yeah, it's high fructose corn syrup.
2: So I recently read this book, which took me forever to read because I've been so busy this last year and a half or so. It's called The Omnivore's Dilemma. Uh, Michael Kirk is an author. author. And it's such an incredible book because it takes you all the way through the entire industrial food system from corn crops all the way to raising animals to Eat, you know, coming to your table. So like that whole concept of like farm to table, what that looks like, but then also thinking away from that in the industrial system and how like corn is such a highly subsidized crop that is right. dominating all processed foods and it keeps it cheap and available and accessible to people who who are now addicted to it. Yeah, it's crazy. It is insane. And so I think that with the work that I'm doing, um, not only is it being able to provide a product that actually tastes good and is sort of like an in-between, for example, I have my Agua Fresca. It's a strawberry rose Agua Fresca with chia maple syrup, right? So some people who are all about juicing are like, oh, but it has maple syrup. It's sweetened. And I'm like, yeah, but a lot of people in our communities are addicted to soda. And so what's an in-between to like a green juice is an Agua Fresca and how can we make that... A better option. And so I'm trying to to sort of be a a bridge builder to people who I know who are doing amazing things with food. Like you have Cocina House, you have Spirit Plate, you have these folks who are on that sort of brink of of indigenous um, revival of like food ways. And so, and I'm super into that. I'm learning more and more about it, but that may be too far, far away for some people. So I'm just trying to keep it down to earth and like, And I shouldn't say down to earth because not that they're not down to earth, but just trying to keep it a, a little bit more accessible and be more visible amongst the community to make it sort of this movement of food that's happening
0: that doesn't seem like it's
1: overwhelming. And you're like remixing old recipes and making them healthy now.
0: Yeah. This is not your grandma's Jamaica.
1: No. (laughs) And so you are getting, I mean, you're using better ingredients and they're vegan. And it's like, I saw that you're making ceviche Mm -hmm. and like all the kind of those comfort foods that are, you know, traditionally with lard or with meat. And Mm -hmm. so is that like your way of kind of penetrating that market of people being like, well, we don't, we don't eat that because that's white people food.
2: Well, definitely. So uh, we all love Latinos. We love our ceviches. We love our moles. We love our esquita salad. We love our queso, ranchero,
0: all these things. Oh my right? gosh. I die for cheese. Oh. And I'm a little bit lactose intolerant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Most and people. And I don't are. even, well, now, I, yeah. now that I discovered that if you take a probiotic, you don't have the same reactions to it. And that oh, changed see. my life. Mm-hmm. That lactobacillus strand is my best friend. And when I discovered it, I told my doctor, why didn't you tell me about this sooner? No number one. And number two, when I go, this is how you know that I'm like really emotional. When I go to sad hour, not happy hour. And when I'm really sad, (laughs) I want wine and cheese. Mm. And then I really want fried cheese. Mm. Oh, fried Mm. cheese. (laughs) Yeah. Or like a queso fundido Mm, where it's mm -hmm. warm and greasy with a chorizo and a tortilla. It's very comforting people. If you don't know, cheese is my like worst enemy and best friend. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah that's a battle that
2: most people struggle through I think but one thing that I've been trying to work on is making more plant-based cheeses because I know... Oh, what's a plant-based <laughs> cheese?
1: Like, like almond cheese. Like
2: I like I do yeah. a really good cashew good. crema. So if oh. you love sour cream drizzled over certain things, a really good cashew crema. Okay, okay I, I want to try is this. this. Cashew the, cream
1: is delicious. It
2: is. And then I've been I've also experimenting <laughs> with um, dehydrating and creating actual rounds of cheese
0: that you can then later flavor to be... So this is not the bathroom cheese that your Theo made in a but tub and it. <laughs> you don't know that? My dad calls it bathroom cheese or foot cheese because it's stinky. Oh. You know, all. Oh, all right, for our listeners, if you've never had a tia who came back from Mexico and brought you cheese, I feel sorry for you. Yeah. The stinkier it is, the better. And they always make it in the bathtubs. I did not I did know that know they, they made it in, in the yeah, bathtubs, I but I really? have bought cheese Maybe that's that was my
1: family. brought over from Mexico, <laughs> like the big wheels of it. And it's almost like Parmesan.
2: Yeah, it's
1: crumbly. Yeah, it's it's crumbly. like a queso patica,
2: and it has the orange rind. Right. it's stinky. I yeah. love it.
0: The it's stinkier good. it is, the better.
2: Yeah, no, and I agree with you. Like there's been times where actually for the holidays, Holidays, we had tamales and my grandmother had a recipe for her tamales and uh, my tia actually made some this last holiday and she had some of the queso de Mexico and I was like, mm. it's so good. And I was like, let me
0: just have a bite. <laughs> and Our family okay. does that with um, green chiles, white corn and queso for their tamales. Mm-hmm. That's good. We don't do the meat tamales. Yeah. The rajas
1: yeah. de chile with cheese is the best.
0: <laughs> Let's just be honest.
2: So everyone loves cheese, right? And that's usually the the thing that stops folks from trying a vegetarian diet and transitioning to possibly a vegan diet is cheese. And so there's one person on my team, Melissa specifically, who is a cheese lover, even though her stomach doesn't always agree with it either, but she's been now exploring the whole vegan cheese thing because we've been trying to explore some recipes together. And she's like, I think I'm going to do it. I think Ooh. I'm going to go vegan because that cheese is bomb, right? <laughs> and, and so if I can make her a believer and she's like a hardcore cheese eater, um, then I'm like, okay, there's, there's more work to be done within perfecting recipes and things like that. And I'm not saying I'm going to go into like a whole vegan cheese industry, but it's just a part of the recipes that make it, right? And so some people just want that little cremita. Some people want some of that like queso style cheese or something that's a little bit more crumbly. And it's like trying to figure out how to age it more. And just like you age like a, a milk cheese as well
1: too. So working on it. That's work in progress. I want to eat that now. <laughs> <laughs> Lunchtime here, where we're recording, so we're
0: definitely uh, thinking about food and eating. One of the things that I love about you, Jocelyn, is that you're not just driving change in how people eat with what you do with Todo Verde, which is everything green, right? Yeah, for yeah all green, the, everything. Yeah, green. all green, mm-hmm. everything. For people who need the translation. But you also do this through almost like a sense of like feminist community action because when I think of food and I think of meals, I think of women. I think of my of my grandma, my Mama Pancha, who always grew something in her garden. Mm-hmm. She used to grow. She grew papaya. She grew mm-hmm. her papaya trees yeah. were ginormous, and they said they wouldn't grow here. But my grandma, people would steal them all the time. They would walk by and steal them. My grandma <laughs> yeah. used She's to all like running keep out watch. With broom. Yeah, with the machete. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even. Her watermelons were bigger than everyone else's. Mm -hmm. She grew jalapenos. She grew tomatoes. She grew everything. And I think that's such a a deep-rooted place of not just feminism, but also as a female, that essence of like how we take care of our communities and take care of our families. Yeah. And I I totally see that as
2: part of the vision of Todo Verde is that connection of women and food, which has been for generations. And I think sometimes we look at it negatively because we think, you know, after all these years, I'm a working woman now and I I don't want, I still have to cook or, you know, I don't need to have that connection to food that my great grandmother and my grandmother and my mother did. And so being able to, in a sense, reclaim that and say, hey, that's actually really powerful to be able to to feed myself and my family like really nutrient good food that's going to make us healthy.
0: And the tradition of food. Do you guys remember that skit that Donchetto um, did with, oh, I can't remember the girl's name. And he goes... Estoy y mi padre no lo quiere. Do you remember <laughs> no. that? Well, okay. It's a really funny skit. Anyways. What? <laughs> Don yeah, Chesos a radio like personality. the Rancho yet. de Paramount. No. <laughs> All right. You're not Mexican I, enough. Anyways, there's well. a line in it where he says, Mira, no puede cocinar puro microwave. Oh, and no. that's me. I'm puro microwave. <laughs> not really. I can cook. I just don't do it that often. And I think some of it is the challenge of cooking for one person, but Mm -hmm. I actually very much love cooking for other people. There is a sense of joy in that and coming together. Yeah. And I think that because
2: food has been sort of this communal thing that has happened for so many generations, like it's not just like you sit and eat by yourself, though in... Today we do. I know, I know, which is kind of interesting because that's a different way to think about food. Like maybe we sit and meditate on it on our own and are thankful for it. And that's one thing that I learned just through like temple and ashram that I'm a part of. But in the past, we see like folks who gather around food. Like if there's an animal that was, you know, sacrificed or whatever, and then there's folks who prepare it. Like people gather to feast on that, that food together to convivir, right? Yeah. And so looking looking at that 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 feels really good it feels great to to share those types of things amongst community but yeah it's really hard nowadays to you know work all day prepare food and like trying to figure out like where you're going to have time to eat it where you're going to heat it up what's you know it's it 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 just could be a little bit of an overwhelming process if that's the way you view it or 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 you're not sure how to work with your ingredients to have things like prepped ahead of time to help you out
0: Oh yeah, and I'm not a pleasant person when I'm hangry. Uh, and we neither am I. <laughs> and we live in this society, Yvette's laughing. She's making quite the face, you guys, for those of you who cannot see us. Actually, that's all of you. Uh, because I am notoriously <laughs> It's all of you. All of you. I am notoriously known when I have not eaten something to be like absolutely uh queen bee uh but okay this is a symptom this is a symptom of our environment right we are Mm -hmm. go 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 and food gets pushed and then by the time i go eat i'm starving i'm inhaling i want what's quick and easy meal prepping doesn't take priority and the reality is is if you're not planning to succeed you're planning to fail and when it comes to meal planning and executing your day i've never been more aware of this as this year we're geared up We're doing 40 episodes of this podcast. We're doing eight conferences across the country. I stopped drinking this year. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, (laughs) And not from a sobriety standpoint, but from a sense of like, I turned 30. I'm going to be 31 soon. And so a glass of wine at night or two, because it's never just one, leaves me (laughs) groggy the next morning. And Mm -hmm. we're trying to fit so much into a to every day in 80-hour weeks that I sit there and I go, if I'm not taking care of myself, I'm going to get sick. I'm not going to be able to perform. Everything is going to go to hell in a handbasket and we can't afford for that. So it's never been more critical to our group success that we're all taking care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And and I've never, I guess maybe it was like turning 30 for me or um, maybe just the lifestyle that we're leading where I spent most of last year and the year before just sick. I was chronically sick, and so mu- much of it has to do with the lifestyle. And mm-hmm. this year I said I'm just determined to not be in that same position. What we're, The work we're doing is too important to be stuck because I didn't take the time to meal plan once a week.
1: Mm-hmm. And as entrepreneurs, you function like so much better when you've slept, when you've oh, had yeah. breakfast in the morning, mm-hmm. when you're not trying to like subsidize rest with coffee and like other forms of caffeine. And mm-hmm. it's crazy how much food really does affect the way that we are able to show up and function in the world. Exactly. Brain fog. It, it yeah. total brain, brain fog is a real yeah. thing.
0: And it's true that, you know, not having carbs in the afternoon changes the productivity of what we're trying to get done. I don't need my three o'clock nap. <laughs> but
2: yeah. I want it. Yeah. And I, I think what I've tried to do, the, the key for me has been snacking. Always mm. making sure that even in my car, I have a bag of nuts, I have a banana, I have an orange, I have something there to just hold me through if I'm not able to get food right away. So I've been trying to be a lot better with that the last couple years, though there are some hangry moments, I'm not going to lie, <laughs> right? But yeah, definitely like the meal prep has helped. And one thing that I've committed to since I turned 30, I'm now going to be 34 this year, is I I don't drink, I don't smoke, I sleep every single night for like a reasonable amount of hours, six to eight hours. And I practice my self-care whenever I can. I I get up and I try to meditate as many times as I can throughout the week, in the morning. I eat a plant-based diet. So like really trying to come back to that sort of like self-care healing, making sure that I'm putting my best self out there and I'm being my best self to myself.
1: Right. Yeah. So if I'm a person that has absolutely no idea about nutrition, where can I find information on that and how can I live like a healthy life? That isn't overwhelming. That isn't, yeah, that isn't overwhelming. I feel like, no offense to veganism or anything, but it's like... I've seen people who have tried to be vegan and have ended up in the hospital because they were not educated about what they were doing.
2: Exactly. Well, for those of you listening out there, I would definitely suggest to start small, which is what I did. It's taken me four years to get where I am today. And I consider myself to be not on the very extreme side of the spectrum, but to some, maybe so. And so... You know, maybe just trying a plant based diet just a couple times a week or minimizing meat consumption or right. dairy consumption. That's huge. For just like a you know, just maybe a couple times a week. And so you're kind of spreading it out and you're testing out. You can test out recipes. You can try making exist like I make a really awesome mac and cheese. I'm not mm. gonna lie. Your face just like got I so happy. I love
1: mac and
2: cheese. <laughs> right? And it's I so, love comfort food. <laughs> exactly. I'm a chunker on
0: the inside and the outside.
2: No, but like people just (laughs) love particular meals. And so that's okay. It's like, how could I make this thing, this recipe? How could I tweak it here and there and play around with it? Um, But it's going to take time and effort just like anything else. So whenever, you know, anyone's like, oh, I want to, you know, like lose those last five pounds or I want to do this or that. I want to ace this test. It's like it takes the time and effort to get there. It doesn't just happen. And so... You know, I would definitely suggest like starting small, doing research, maybe taking some time to like read some recipes here and there. Pick up awesome books like there's Decolonize Your Diet, which is a great book that I read a couple years ago or maybe a year ago now, which is a book I recommend to everyone because it's not only recipes available, but it's a deeper look into the industrial food system. That's like a really easy, quick read. Mm-hmm. And there's also books by brian terry that are available as well too that also looks at vegan eating and it's comfort food
1: so Mm. it's like the mac and cheese the greens all these things right Mm. too much about having a healthy diet is it seems like the narrative is always around deprivation like depriving yourself of really good things that you want to eat in favor of things that don't taste good and like that's really like you're just not doing it right.
2: Yeah. You know what? Last night I was at a dinner. And so I, I held a dinner. Oh, it was hosted by some like DTLA influencers. And so one of the folks who was there is the owner of Wild Living Foods, which is a new space that recently opened. It's a, a raw plant-based uh, restaurant or cafe in downtown. And we were talking about how all food, including me, is flavored with plants so, like mm. even meat itself, like if you you That's have this true. chicken dish or whatever that you like, the reason it tastes so damn good is because it's flavored with herbs and salt and all these plants that make it taste really good. So, how can you substitute things with those same that same love, attention, and care? The same saison is what we say, right? Yeah. To give it that flavor. And and then also, once you get a little bit deeper into it, then you can start to look at nutrition as well, too. Because I recently had a meeting this week with um, someone who's looking to incorporate—it's a ghetto a, a place, and they're looking to incorporate
0: jackfruit. And I was like, awesome. Ooh, so good. And yeah. you can only find it at Asian markets. Exactly. Why can we not find this everywhere else?
1: It will be available everywhere, everywhere yeah. else soon, I'm sure. Mm. So, wait, you said something about street vending, and that's how you got your start, Right. In uh, street well, vending, kind of? Not necessarily street vending. I was at farmers, farmers markets. markets. Farmers markets to start off, which but, is still similar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but let's talk about your man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about Rudy and what he's been doing for street vending. He was a part of, or he led the charge, right? For street vending?
2: Yeah. So he was uh, definitely one of the, the main team members or the main coalition who led the the process of legalizing street vending and so i mean it's still within process now like the more recent vote has has been a huge step forward i think for them and they're really proud of where they've gotten so far to be able to get to the point where it's now decriminalized so people are no longer in fear of deportation or other you know serious crimes but though there's still the option to get ticketed there so that's that's still not great cuz that's a cost for street vendors so He's been doing really great work around that and other things, and I've been very supportive of, of that. So it's been cool to kind of get like the the inside, not the inside knowledge per se, but just kind of like seeing how much it's affecting like the core team and, and all the work that he does with
0: his organization to, to move towards positive change. We talk a lot on this podcast. It's called Brown Girls Rising for a reason, right? How are you rising up and taking action? And it's always very focused on the guest. But what I really enjoy hearing about this story about you and your partner is that you guys are partners not just because you've chosen to be together. You obviously like each other. You probably <laughs> love each other. <laughs> but you also have shared values. I mean, mm-hmm. you as a feminist and, how, and you're both driving these narratives through access to food. Right? And Mm -hmm. access to how people are creating lifestyles around food Mm -hmm. and employment and accessibility. And I think that's something that's so beautiful and things that we often think about when, or at least for me, when I hear the narrative of feminist, I hear like, I'm not shaving my armpits. I've got the Rosie the Riveter clenched fist. I'm out there. I'm, you know, (laughs) taking charge versus. (laughs) Versus kind of this, this different approach of like empowered choices and partners, like not thinking of somebody just alone, but the fact that there's partnerships driving these feminist movements and accessibility. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a beautiful thing.
2: Yeah, and I think it's uh, definitely a balance too because we share a lot of the same values and I think that a lot of times we help to hold each other accountable when we see that we're not holding to certain things that we Mm. we know that we truly deep down care about and so I think it's a balance of that and also just being able to to freely share like how we're just feeling like we might just be like tired and wanting to give up and and then the other person just kind of kicks in and says like no this is worth it this is why we're meant to be here you know and so it's been a really... I want a partner like that and not one who's <laughs> like, you work all the time. Why do you have to work all the time? You know, it's funny because we we uh, co-work a lot. So, mm. you know, we have our moments of like hanging out dinner and then like, all right, let's take an hour to get some work done. So it's been a really supportive partnership that I appreciate so much and I care about him very deeply. So it, I, I just feel like he's, he's definitely like a good balance. Uh, we're a good balance to each other, I think. So... Oh.
0: That's beautiful. I want that. (laughs) If you're male and you're listening and you're out there, we want that. (laughs) Holla. (laughs) Especially if you can cook. Porque puro microwave. (laughs) You
2: know, and it's funny.
0: He actually, though he's like
2: very connected to food, um, will say himself in like many talks that he's given or panel discussions that he's been a part of is that he actually like isn't a foodie. He doesn't consider himself to be a foodie. He just eats the same thing all the time. And it wasn't until oh, I around that. the time that we met that he became vegetarian. So oh. now he's vegetarian. Now he's a lot more conscious about the types of food that he's he's consuming. And that's a more recent sort of addition to his life, which is really awesome to see him growing in that way. And I,
0: I encourage it though. I don't like try to push it on too much, you know? Yeah. So it's that that balance I love that you guys are both I once dated a vegetarian obviously it didn't last more than two dates it's like when you date somebody who loves Indian food and I particularly don't and I'm like oh man and I'm allergic (laughs) to coconut and that always has like coconut in it yeah or Thai food and I'm like man come on dating
1: somebody that doesn't like sushi I'm like this isn't gonna work out because I love sushi or somebody who only gets like the California rolls and doesn't actually order the raw fish no, I like, want sushi. I'm totally judging you. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: no, but it, so my point to this before we were joking here is how nice it is to see the embracing of different things. And I think too often um, in partnerships, in relationships, it's almost like one of us has to get in and give in to the other where it seems that you guys have this kind of beautiful balance of exposing each other to different things, trying it, and finding that kind of harmony together that I think too often or at least in my own personal case it kind of always feels like me against the world yeah power Mm -hmm. struggle yeah
2: no and I I think that we're both really open to to like I said like holding each other accountable like there may be times where there's like more ego here and there and we'll be like hey I sense that or I see that and it'll be like okay all right I yeah I'm sorry you know so I I feel like it's a really open partnership to be able to like openly communicate how we're feeling to each other and towards each other, um, which is really great. So, who are some of the people who inspire you? Like, who are your feminist icons? Oh my gosh, there's so many. <laughs> the first person who came to mind right now is Jolene Levitt uh, from. She is the chair of a firm, which is a national organization, which is actually there. They lead an annual Women's Day march, and so she is just all around like she. I just kind of like, I can't put words to it. She's just so dope because she looks at feminism from such a like intersectional lens Mm -hmm. and is really trying to incorporate all women into this movement, but also specifically women of color. How do we empower women of color and move into further deep into this third wave of feminism, which is now you know, moving past just white feminism, right, which has left a lot of us out. Yvette's kale. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're leaving kale, no kale left behind. (laughs) and, And moving forward to create really awesome movements that are all about sisterhood. And so I see folks like her. I see, like I just recently met, like I mentioned with um, Claudia Serrato and my friend Valerie Duenas, who run food businesses. And I see them and the work that they do around food and their connection to it and bringing that to others is really inspiring to me. And I see that also as a sense of feminism. And actually, Claudia Serrato is, the, I love to give her credit for this because she is one of the main reasons that I became vegan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. How did yeah. that transition happen? So I was at an indigenous veganism workshop that Gladia was facilitating. And in this conversation, she's going around the room and folks are sharing. She's prompting questions like, um, what do you think indigenous, uh, indigenous food looks like? Or what were things that folks ate? Were they always vegan? No, they hunted. They ate animals from time to time, right? And so in this conversation, one of the questions that she starts asking is like, well, how do we link feminism to veganism? And I was like, what? How? <laughs> (laughs) I've never heard about that, right? And so we start talking about what is feminism, right? It's um, not exploiting the female body for capitalist reasons, um, things like that, right? So looking at a female body and respecting it. And so then she's like, look at the industrial food system. Most of the animals in the industrial food system are female bodies, all Ooh. the eggs that we consume, all the dairy that we consume, most of the meat that we consume are female bodies. That blew my mind. My mind is yeah. blown right now.
0: Right? I have Absolutely. never thought about that. And it's exploited for capitalism. Exactly. Everything, Everything about the industry is exploited for that's capitalism. That, that is mind blown. Yeah. And so we can't drop these mics because they're not ours. <laughs> but if <Yeah>. we could.
2: <laughs> They'd yeah, be on the floor right now. Yes. Yeah. And so that's exactly how I felt that day. I was was actually there with my good friend, Lauren, who um, is one of the owners of People's Yoga. And I turned to her and I was just like, I think I'm going to just, I want to try vegan. You know, I really want to try to be vegan because that was just such a game changer to think of these animals. I I pictured myself in one of those animals, like just being forced to continue to have baby after baby after baby after baby to be able to continue oh. to produce milk and Dude. or make eggs and all these things. And I was just like, that is a terrible way to live. And if we don't want that for ourselves, then why would we wish that on any other at any other being you know and so that was a huge transition for me <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, you I were looking at each other like i didn't even think about that oh my gosh that's so crazy dude mind blown we're just mind blown yvette and i can't stop staring at each other going oh my gosh that's
1: dude there's like an entire dissertation to be written about that
2: Oh, and I'm sure Claudia's written it. Oh, I want to read it.
1: (laughs) Oh, but you were also a professor, right? Before you transitioned into this wonderful, exciting life that you lead now, right? Yeah, actually,
2: I taught for a few years at a local university. Uh, It's a liberal arts university. I taught a few classes like social justice and civic engagement, leadership for community building, um, and then other like transition courses. Which wouldn't things. prepare you for the things you're doing now. <laughs> Not <laughs> at all. Not at all. I mean, I think that that definitely helped to prepare me. I think more than anything, it's been, you know, spaces like uh, I, I also love to give a lot of credit to the Eastside Cafe, which is based in El Sereno, which is an autonomous community space inspired by the Zapatistas in Mexico and Chiapas. Wow. Um, the work that they do to bring folks to the table and and really skill share and try to, again, hold each other accountable and like really really make sure that we're growing in a very like positive, inclusive way. Um, I think it w- was really like a big growing point for me in my life, um, being around those types of spaces and people who are conscious on another level, I think. And so um, so those things definitely prepared me for being able to teach a class like that, which I co-taught. Um, and And it was interesting to see like Woodbury University, which is where I taught, is a very diverse community, right? And so you had folks who like, Didn't get it like, well, why don't people just live wherever they want to live? And it's like, um, (laughs) let's have a dialogue about that. Like, why do other people in the room think disagree or agree with that statement or that question? Yeah, because those types of classes are meant to be a continual dialogue. It's impossible for an instructor to lecture and say, This is what it is, and this is what you're supposed to know, and how you're supposed to live. It, it that's not how society works. We learn from from each other from listening to each other and engaging in those in those sometimes difficult conversations,
0: yeah. Well, Jocelyn, it has been a pleasure getting woke with you because we got... (laughs) It's been real. It has been real. We could talk about this all day, but we will include links uh, from all the things that we've discussed today so you guys can have access to some of the books that she mentioned and resources available to you. Jocelyn, where can people find you?
2: Uh, Folks can find us on Instagram at Todo Verde. Uh, Twitter and Facebook is Todo Verde LA. Find me Sundays at Smorgasburg, which is a big food event in downtown Los Angeles. And then I'm also at the South Pasadena Farmers Market, Hollywood Farmers Market. Those are Thursdays and Sundays. And we're also doing catering now too. So we have a full plant-based catering menu, which is part of the, the dinner that I hosted last night. So we're doing a lot more food, which is fun, aside from just the the drinks that we've been sort of coming to own a little bit more.
0: So yeah, hopefully see you around some food soon. We love it. Jocelyn, it's been a pleasure having you. This has been Brown Girls Rising. Bye. Bye. This episode of Brown Girls Rising was brought to you by Nylon Español and recorded at Maker City LA in sunny downtown Los Angeles.
1: We hope it's inspired you. For
0: more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Worthy Women LLC and Brown Girls Rising for future episodes.
1: Until next time.